And I know people, if they don't get their Council Roundup podcast, they hound me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I get it. Uh, they gotta have it. They gotta have it. Or people that, for whatever reason, don't wake up right at 7 o'clock to listen to it live. What's wrong with you? Come on. Yep. It's Council Roundup News Talk 94.7 and 970 WMAY. Last night's Committee of the Whole Meeting. About two hours long. I'm Greg Bishop, Chris Murphy across the glass over there. And uh, Chris, uh, some of the things we're not going to get to, um, there were citizens there addressing the committee about block parties uh, that have been happening. And um, city-sanctioned block parties. Apparently one block party had a permit. Uh, and oh, wow. people were there, and some estimated 200 to 400 people. So you had uh, not just aldermen raising concerns about that and discussions about that. Uh, you also had uh, citizens who were uh, frustrated uh, and uh, raising concerns about, you know, the smell of cannabis at these parties and a lot of uh, garbage and the lack of access to their own personal properties and uh, just the um, collection of people too close together and not practicing social distancing. It, it lends a question. Why are we doing block party permits? Isn't, yeah, the, isn't the limit at 50? That's a... But, but yeah. A it's bigger a, outdoors? Right. Um, gatherings are limited to 50, but... Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing issue. I'm sure we'll probably hear more about, uh, no doubt. Sure. Uh, but let's get into something else that, uh, well, it's kind of a blast from the past. Last year, um, we had a presentation at the city council about a sports complex of sorts, like bringing in uh, contractors to build a massive sports complex that would include baseball diamonds, soccer fields, football fields, indoor for That's basketball. That's been going on in this town yeah. for 30 years and, and now. They've been bringing this what up was over Xanadu, and over. in the early 90s? Right, right. Uh, so here we are now with uh, a new update. Here is Scott Dahl from the city uh, introducing special guests. In March of 2019, Sports Facilities Advisory was engaged by the Convention Visitors Bureau to complete a market opportunity report related to the development of new sports tourism assets in Springfield. So they, of course, did present uh, kind of initial ideas, and that was over a year ago. There was a lot of conversation about, well, can we afford that type of thing? So we get now the phase two presentation, and who are we going to hear from? Evan Eliff and Dan Wharton with SFA return to give a fa- to give a phase two update on behalf of the Legacy Point Sports Complex. So uh, that's over there where Shields is at, right? Right. Here's Evan. Uh, sports tourism is a growing industry. It's been growing for the last decade, and one of the most exciting things, not only for the last decade, but for the foreseeable future, is the fact that sports tourism has proven to be recession-resistant. So through the Great Recession, it is the only segment of the tourism industry that did not decline in a single quarter. Well, you know, we're kind of in a different recession right now. Right. There's not a lot of uh, sports that have been going on the past few months. Nope. It's been COVID. Uh, right. So uh, why this industry? Why, why are we hearing about this now? And some of the key points that, as we've gotten to know your community, we think are important to continue to uncover and develop as potential partnership opportunities. This is the Myrtle Beach Sports Center in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And although there are a lot of accolades and a lot of great things I can say about this, one of the most important and most relevant points with this is how the sports and recreation asset has partnered with higher education to create professional and educational opportunities with 
community college and university students. So Springfield has a lot of that at play. Uh, and he says uh, where they've seen success in other parts of the country, examples you laid out, uh, they've seen that success driven by having access to higher education, community college, universities, but also just having a uh, uh, a lot of uh, ancillary uh, types of activities with uh, local high schools and local private groups and so on. So uh, now we hear from Dan, who is from the Sports Facility Advisors, and uh, he lays out some of the things that uh, you can expect for next steps. And, uh, my name is Dan Morton. I'm a development advisor uh, with SFA. I'll be sharing a little bit more now getting into the specifics of our recommendations analysis for Phase 2 and, and for Springfield. So what are we looking at? Um, we think there's a great opportunity here based on um, a lot of different factors related to um, ge geographic location, the region, access to other populations as well as this destination of why people would come here and why they would travel here. It also lays out uh, some of the things that are going to be put into place and in the, in the follow-through here. Uh, really going down the path of how this becomes real, right, and how we walk down the path of financing, or uh, I say we, but how whoever takes this on um, from the development perspective, how it's funded and, and what those relationships are. I think the financing question here is the big uh the big flag that everybody needs to keep their eye on uh, is this just going to be purely privately funded and it's going to be a major benefit or is it going to have to take substantial public investment, yeah. meaning tax dollars? Uh, we'll hear a little bit more about that conversation, but what are we looking at there? Okay. They've got this plan. It's a large area. You got all kinds of fields, uh, outdoors and indoors. What about the indoor capacity? Uh, it's just over almost almost 53,000 uh, square feet of flat floor open event space where we're not just running basketball and volleyball, but we can do gymnastics and cheer and dance and martial arts and all kinds of different activities from a sports perspective. But then we can also accommodate other non-sports events as well. Outdoors, a lot of different opportunities they say can be um, had for all different types of sporting events. So in total, we have eight diamond fields. Uh, there's two different sizes of those. We have full-size fields where we can use them for uh, smaller uh, fences and base paths. We can use the outfields for multi-purpose activities like soccer and lacrosse, uh, but it gives us um, a four set of larger fields. And then we have four smaller fields at 300 foot. Again, we can adjust those base paths and uh, fence distances to accommodate a lot of different activities um, to give us a total of eight inventory, but we can use it in a very flexible way to accommodate different uh, versions of play when we're hosting events as well as local use. And even more details in this second phase laid out. Because what we've talked about so far is bridging the gap between phase one, the market opportunity report, and phase two, what we've recently completed in terms of operational feasibility. Phase three is about funding, getting the partnerships in place, getting the funding in place, something that you, if you uh, have reviewed or were part of the presentation for the market opportunity report, you have heard before and or read before that still rings true, is that a facility like this has to have some level of significant public-private partnership with significant support from the public sector. Significant support from the public sector. How much uh -huh. did uh, Budget, McCart Budget Director McCarty say we're missing out on? 14 million. Okay, that's, that's 12 million. what we can't expect. That's just from COVID. Right. So we got this presentation in front of the city council, just putting it out there. Um, coming back from the break, we'll hear more about this and questions that Alderman raised, and then we'll get into um, <laughs> the 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 non-debate about censure. 
They didn't even talk about it. Oh, wow. Uh, and then uh, we'll hear a lot about this resolution uh, that Alderwoman Turner and Alderman Gregory put forward uh, that uh, has a bunch of different elements to it. So stay tuned. We'll get to that coming up here with the Council Roundup. Well, hearing a presentation from the Sports Facility uh, Advisory Group, and they were here uh, a little over last year, uh, kind of giving uh, some presentations about um, uh, the, the the possibility and the feasibility of having a large sports complex. Uh, and this one that they're talking about in particular would be a legacy point. Uh, now, the conversation was about uh, having a public-private partnership of sorts, and uh, here's some more, I believe, from Evan from SFA. I encourage you to keep in mind that some level of public support and subsidy that helps to get the facility built and keep the facility operational so that this community can benefit from the local impact on your residents who want to step on the field and the impact on your community from people or to people who may never step on the field but benefit from an influx of visitation and spending. So they're essentially saying prepare if you want this to spend some tax dollars on it. Uh, Alderman Ralph Hanauer uh, has some questions. Travel sports is is, uh, is big. Um, uh, I know uh, many of us have had kids that have done it, and, and we know families that, have, that do it every weekend. It's the truth. It's a pretty big deal. But uh, during COVID, those types of things have not been going on. Surely some are starting to fire back up. But we haven't seen that. And that goes against what SFA said as some of these larger uh, sports complexes seem to be um, resilient during times of um, economic uncertainty. But what, of course, we've seen in the past four months is uh, an economic uncertainty of a totally different kind. Uh, and it has impacted sports. Uh, Hanauer continues. So, so you're coming back to us wanting, I assume, some tax money or something, right? And And said a public-private partnership. Can you elaborate on that? They do elaborate a bit. The concept right now is obviously for this to be a legacy point owned and operated facility. The way that we see public, uh, the public sector participating is through things like um, special taxing districts and through um, even partnerships with parks and recreation and through um, other components with schools, etc. So uh, you've got this idea of it being at Legacy Point, and that's, of course, where there's a major anchor. Uh, this idea could generate even more activity around there. Right now, you've got a great anchor in Shields, but Shields independently isn't creating a tremendous amount of visitation that creates economic development on site. This facility would. It could also, uh, as Alderwoman Conley was able to uh, highlight in her question, uh, it could possibly help with educational opportunities when social distancing is necessary. Because obviously there are a lot of questions around contact sports and just sports in general right now. So you're seeing some of your facilities are being used for educational purposes? Uh, absolutely. We've got um, summer camps right now, and those summer camps are going to transition into for lack of a better term, school camps um, for, for families that need it. And um, we're gonna bring in, you know, we've got the bandwidth, we've got the spaces, we've got classrooms, we've got a lot of area in a lot of these facilities to keep social distancing and groups down to 10 and bring in um, some educators that will be uh, teachers that are displaced and lose their job because of all of the virtual learning that's going to happen. This provides in a lot of our facilities, we have laid the groundwork right now. Now when this gets built, if that's still an issue, is that's, if that's still part of our new normal, um, who knows, but the flex flexibility of this space because it's not just sports and recreation. 
its inventory of time and space. Dan mentioned. I think it's an interesting idea, but uh, there, there's a lot of assumptions being made here. You <laughs> know, that, that also the teachers are going to be out of work because of Zoom learning. That's right. one. Uh, and he did mention uh, way back in the beginning about about uh, about private or public partnership to help maintain the facility too. Right. That's uh, you know he said that, and and uh, it's like uh, I don't know. That's kind of how those types of presentations uh, go in front of city council. It's like a sales pitch. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, they're looking for dollars from the from taxpayers, and they go to the city council to try to get those dollars, and we'll see just how far that goes. Especially as again, Chris, how much did uh, Budget Director McCarty say was? We are fourteen million. It could be okay. uh, up to up to sixteen million, anywhere between ten and sixteen million, <laughs> with more likely pegged between twelve and fourteen million. Hey, listen, no one's co- no one's denying that these fill hotels and stuff. Right. I mean, you know, when you you when you have tournaments, people come in from outer areas and they stay at your hotels and they spend a lot of money in the community. Nobody's denying that. Yep. But yeah, we we don't have the cash right now. That's it's not problem. there. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, so coming back, we'll hear uh, about this resolution being put forward to address racism at City Hall uh, and we'll unpack all of that and, and more here with the Council Roundup. Well, now we're uh, done with the sales pitch from the Sports Facility Advisory Group. Um, now it's time for some city business. And it's the Committee of the Whole last night and I gotta give it a shout out to Alderman Gregory. He really did keep the uh, meeting uh, the trains on time. Uh, a nice tight two-hour meeting um we're not going to get to much of what uh, the q a was with uh you know citizens addressing the council but he was sure to keep people on target and on time uh so thumbs up on that um but uh now we get into some city business where they're talking about ordinances up for consideration here's one 2020 289 an ordinance authorizing execution of a grant agreement with downtown springfield incorporated for an amount not to exceed one million dollars to provide services from march 1st 2020 <laughs> Through February 28th, 2022. Whoa, 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 what? 100,000. Oh, I'm sorry, 100,000. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's about $900,000 cheaper than the million that uh, Clerk Lesko put out there. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all right, so Downtown Springfield Incorporated in line to get a, a $100,000. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, not I, a million. I, How I, th- I think they would like a million dollars. I was just going to say. Right? I think that Lisa would love a million dollars. Yeah, no kidding. Who wouldn't? Um, Next, I think this is the ordinance about censure. Here's how it goes. 2020-290, an ordinance approving an amendment to the rules of procedure for the city council. Second. Any discussion? Now, I, I listened to that over and over again. I couldn't hear what the motion was. If an alderman out there is listening, send me a text. Likely you have my number. Let me know if that was put on debate. Or consent, or if it was tabled, I'm not sure. I don't. Yeah, I don't it's know. hard to throw that back again. Yeah, so and, and, and listen, I trust me. I cranked it up in here uh, and listened to it multiple times. Here it is. 2020-290, an ordinance approving an amendment to the rules of procedure for the city council. Second. Did you, did you hear what that was? No. No. I, okay. Well, I, we'll I, find I, out. I couldn't find out. No. We'll find out. But there was no debate. There was okay, no discussion. So it must have been table then. Uh, or it was just put on consent, consent and yeah. nobody wanted to say anything, or they did put it on debate and nobody wanted to debate it at that time. So we may hear more about that uh, uh, here soon. The censure talk has been censured. Apparently. Um, now moving on, here's a, uh, a resolution that we'll unpack a bit here. 2020-291, anti-racism, anti-violence, and anti-hatred resolution. All right. So there's a lot of elements here that we're going to get through. 
Uh, this was a resolution brought forward. Uh, Alderwoman Doris Turner explaining uh, this resolution, how it compares to a different one that they tabled either last week or the week before. And if you recall, that resolution that was uh, was held was from uh, the uh, Illinois Chiefs of Police Association and um, the NAACP. And it was like a, a list of guidance that they agreed on, I think, like two years ago. I remember covering at the uh, uh, Old State Capitol where they had this presentation and a signing of the document. And it dealt with things like ensuring that, uh, uh, you know, the, the sanctity of life uh, was uh, top foremost whenever when uh, law enforcement interacts with somebody that uh, they ensure that everybody leaves that interaction alive and well and so on. So it laid out various different elements uh, that the NAACP agreed with the Illinois uh, Association of Chiefs of Police uh, that need to be followed on all sides, not just from police, but all sides. So I think that that was what was being brought forward last week to kind of, uh, you know, have on the city's mind of moving forward in the aftermath of the uh, death of George Floyd, at the hands of police officers. Um, but now we've got this different resolution that Alderwoman Turner uh, explains a bit. So with the anti-racism, anti-violence, and anti-hatred resolution, I believe that we find ourselves in the exact same situation. I applaud the mayor for bringing the resolution, but I think we have what we have is a ceremonial approach to a situation that calls for bold structural change. I think the resolution says all the right things, things with which no one can disagree, but it does not change Springfield's approach to eradicating racism, violence, or hatred that exists throughout our community. So she's looking for, of course, uh, this resolution that has multiple elements to it. Some of it includes... Um, a variety of things like, uh, you know, guidelines, training, possible punishment for violating such guidelines and so on. Uh, here's Clerk Lesko reading some of the various provisions. Section two, that being a government by the people that the mayor and the city council will continue to engage and listen to the public through means like ward planning sessions and collaboration with community groups such as Black Lives Matter, education and action together, and root history, whereby our progress can be measured through agreed upon actionable steps. So we've heard of some of these groups, of course. Um, Black Lives Matter locally um, says that they're not part of a, a, a political group. Uh, the national one appears to be more aligned with, with Democrats, so I'm curious how that's going to be addressed. Um, the uh, EAT uh, group that uh, John Keating put together, um, He's running for office, so how are they going to keep politics out of that? Uh, I think there there could be some concerns there, and, and this is something that's, of course, for the deliberative body to unpack. Uh, how do we ensure that politics doesn't play in this? Yes, it's important we have open hearing uh, conversations with all uh, people of the city of Springfield and that uh, city leaders hear those concerns and have ongoing open dialogue. Uh, no question about it, but uh, how do you ensure that politics doesn't seep into it from groups that may have some kind of political bent. I think that that's a concern that you may hear about uh, whether or not it's in the council chambers uh, is a different question. Uh, moving on to another uh, aspect that the clerk has laid out. That being a government for the people, our municipal government will continue to require cultural competence and anti-racism training for all city staff, commissioners, and contractors. Anti-racism training will clearly define racism, the types of racism, and how individuals and systems of government 
can and should not demonstrate racism on behalf of the City of Springfield. There will also be a review and revision of all city policies to ensure equality and departments will continually review and improve operations to ensure equality in the distribution of services and equitable treatment to employees and residents. And this is another element I think needs more unpacking, better understanding. I don't think anybody's going to disagree. Racism needs to be rooted out. And we need to have those conversations internally. We need to have those conversations here in this building, too. You know, it needs to be an ongoing you know, conversation and, and having kind of training elements involved. But um, what those training elements involve, I think, is where you, you get to, you know, the where the, the rubber meets the pavement, so to speak. Right. Sure. Um, there has been criticism uh, that uh, nationally there have been these type of anti-racism training programs being implemented in public institutions or schools or even businesses. And some of the things that are being used in the training um, seem to, you know, in in some people's perspectives uh, is actually racist. uh, And it's in, in how it's presented. Uh, Like for instance, if there's a conversation about whiteness, for instance, uh, this is one of the things that, um, you know, a, a, You'll see national stories about unpacking some of these anti-racist trainings and uh, some of the things that are are built into them uh, on the surface seem to be somewhat problematic. And as far as you're wanting to do anti-racism, but you're teaching racism. Uh, So, right. So I think I I think it's important to, um, of course, have ongoing public awareness about the um, about what is racist. Uh, but we also have to, you know, look at these things in detail and unpack them and uh, better understand. It's uh, nobody's going to disagree. We need to have these types of conversations. Um, but it gets down to the nuts and bolts as to what is being Discussed. conveyed yeah. in those conversations. Um, so continuing on, there's a lot of different elements to this overall package. Uh, and here's the clerk reading more of these uh, various aspects. Section four, cultural competency and anti-racism appropriate objectives to be incorporated into all staff evaluations. Okay. So having uh, some evaluations involved with staffing, um, we're going to hear uh, one concern raised coming up uh, in a bit on that, but more uh, to the resolution. Section 5, the Department of Human Resources will prepare adoption expectations and penalties recording acts of racism in the workplace. So we're looking now at uh, actual penalties that could be levied. Uh, Even more to the resolution. The City of Springfield recognizes May 31st as BLM Solidarity Day, marking the day where thousands of cars processed proceed processed through downtown and thousands more march peacefully through the streets to advance the awareness and movement of social and economic change to black lives in Springfield. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. That was uh, quite a show of uh, extreme support from all in the community showing up for that uh, demonstration. Sure was. It was a day Um, I won't forget. And I think everybody should be proud of that. Yep. Because uh, while other places were having violence break out, yeah, we, uh, did, we did it, it right. right in Springfield. Yep, uh, sure we did, did it right in Springfield. Uh, more on this resolution. Section 7. The city of Springfield, the home of Abraham Lincoln, takes a strong position in support of civil rights and opposition to racism and discrimination of all kinds and call upon the citizens to denounce personal social media attacks, denounce destructive criticism, support constructive criticism, and support investment that will result in equal opportunities throughout our community. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that either, but nope. it should be, um, you know, good for all, 
not just for some. Sure. Right. And we see this a lot. Um, you know, they, we'll, we'll, we'll see people uh, bash others for criticizing some groups, but then they on their own go and bash other groups for something that they don't dis- they don't agree with. Uh, and we, if we're gonna if we're gonna have these types of um, um, these types of morals, <laughs> they need to be uh, equal across Uniform, the board, yep, right? Exactly. We need to treat everybody as we would like to be treated. What's the golden rule? Treat others as you would like you to be treated. treated. Um, so uh, here is just a, another aspect that's uh, added to this. Springfield will proactively invest in wards two and three through businesses, infrastructure, and housing development. And uh, that's another uh, element. Uh, also dealing with uh, contracting and uh, minority businesses and so on. Uh, but here's Alderman Hanauer asking, I think, uh, an important question about uh, some of the aspects we heard earlier from uh, the training, evaluation, and of punishment for some. Well, some of these have to be bargained because we're putting it in um, evaluations and things. Will, will that re- be a re- requirement? I just realized the time caught up on me. Uh, the Corporation Council, Jim Zirkel, said, yes, some of these are going to be just guidelines, uh, and they will move forward, uh, and a lot of it may have to go through some collective bargaining uh, agreements uh, like with the unions. So that's what they're going to be looking at. Uh, again, some of the issues I've raised we may not hear about next week, but uh, I would imagine there's some that uh, want to see the details on what these training programs are going to involve. Uh, and uh, maybe we can uh, get uh, Alderwoman yeah, Turner on. I was just going to say, let's get Alderwoman Turner on. Yeah, and talk about some of that. So um, very much looking forward to that conversation, and that's your council roundup.